Hello and welcome to This Should Really Happen, the true crime podcast where we deep dive into the most disturbing, depraved, and downright gruesome true crimes in history. My name is Em, and I am kicking it old school by myself today in the sense that I'm, I'm recording this episode solo. You know, really going back to my roots when this started, when I, you know, had the first couple episodes out and I would just sit on my couch and record these things at like 10, 11 o'clock at night. And, you know, I would think if my downstairs neighbor could hear me, she was honestly probably thinking I was insane because I was just sitting up in my apartment talking to myself for who knows how long about all sorts of really terrible and really violent crimes that have happened in the past. So, you know, it uh, it kind of feels very uh, reminiscent to be here recording this on my own today. Um, you know, Autumn had some life things going on, as it does happen sometimes. You know, life kind of gets in the way. Shit happens. We got to deal with it when it happens. But, you know, she'll be back next episode, hopefully. Um, but for today, for this episode, you guys just get me. Um, I actually have a... Uh, a squishmallow sitting across from me. It's a, uh, to describe him to you, he's a uh, rainbow pastel. I think it's a chameleon, honestly. It's it's very like egg shaped and it's got these giant eyes and this tiny little smiling mouth and like a, a tail and like, I don't know what to call it, like ridges on its back. I don't know. But it's Rainbow Pastel, and its name is Honeydew, and I have it sitting across from me today, so I can feel like I'm talking to Honeydew, my little uh, Squishmallow Chameleon egg thing, whatever he is, um, instead of feeling like I'm just sitting here talking to myself. So does that make me seem a little bit more crazy? Maybe. Does it make me feel better about sitting here by myself recording this episode? Absolutely. (laughs) Um, but this case that I have for you guys today, this is going to be a, kind of more of a mini episode, A, because I don't have Autumn here to, you know, banter with and to get sidetracked every five, 10 minutes with. Um, and also because, you know, while this case has, you know, a lot of interesting things to talk about, it's not the longest case in the world because, you know, it's very, there's, it's very open and shut. It's not like there's any sort of, you know, suspects to go into multiple victims anything like that but um it's something that actually came across on tiktok that i thought was really interesting and i thought was actually you know kind of relevant to some things that we've talked about before on this podcast um so i did as much research as i possibly can for it but when i was delving in you know like i said it's it's very open and shut there's no question of what happened in this case um, but I still thought it was really interesting. I thought it'd make a pretty a pretty cool uh, mini episode for you guys. You know, I wanted to get something out just because I know it's been a little while since we dropped um, part two of the family murders. And, you know, I'm really trying to get back onto the schedule we were at regularly when we were dropping an episode like clockwork every Tuesday or Thursday. So, you know, we're going to see. Maybe I'll just have to kind of take it upon myself to con some more of my friends into co-hosting with me sometimes. Maybe I can convince Lucas to do an episode with me. Maybe I can get Die Die back on here. She seemed to co-host pretty well when I had her on for the one episode. So, you know, I definitely want to get a little bit more consistent with posting these episodes. Um, 
because we've actually gotten a lot of uh, a lot of followers on the Instagram recently. So thank you to anybody who's followed recently. That's uh, at TSRH Podcast on Instagram. Please give us a follow if you feel like it. We post photos relevant to the cases. Um, you can DM us. Our DMs are open. Um, and of course, the comments are always open if you guys want to talk about the episodes or you know have any thoughts that you want to pass on to us. Um, do take case recommendations in the DMs on Instagram as well if you guys had any cases that you would like to co- to have covered on the podcast. Um, but with that being said, like I mentioned, I saw this one on TikTok. And, you know, not only do I listen to a multitude of true crime podcasts in my day-to-day life, I'm also very heavily on um, true crime TikTok. So I actually get a lot of um, case ideas, or at least I, you know, cases that I think would be interesting to cover on an episode of the podcast through TikTok. And, um, this one was one of them. So, you know, I'm not going to waste any more time. I'm just going to jump right into this little mini episode I have for you guys today. Um, and this case is the case of Germany's revenge mother, um, Marianne Bachmeier. So to talk about Marianne Bachmeier, we first have to talk about her daughter, Anna Bachmeier. Anna was born on November 14th, 1972 in Lübeck, West Germany to her mother, Marianne, and a father who chose not to be involved in Anna's life and left shortly after Marianne had become pregnant. Marianne raised Anna as a single parent, and she worked a job as a waitress at a small restaurant in Lübeck while Anna attended school. When Anna was young, Marianne would oftentimes take Anna to work with her, which often led to her working longer hours since her coworkers typically had no problem with keeping Anna entertained during their free time on their shifts. Marianne did have worries that her lifestyle would have a negative effect on Anna, and she even considered putting Anna up for adoption. Marianne actually had two children previously, one when she was only 16 and another when she was 18, um, both of which were put up for adoption. Friends close to Marianne said that she treated Anna almost like a little adult, um, and from a young age, she was expected to take care of many things on her own. So not only was Marianne working as a waitress, you know, bringing Anna to work so she could work and make money to support herself and Anna, she trusted Anna to, you know, do a lot of things on her own and be very independent. So from a very, very young age, Anna was quite independent. So fast forwarding to May 5th, 1980, Anna and Marianne had a small argument that morning before Anna was supposed to set off for school. So instead of going to school like she was supposed to, Anna decided she wanted to spend the day with one of her friends. So she chose to play hooky. Anna left her house like she was going to head to school like she did every other day. But unfortunately, Anna never made it to her friend's house like she had intended. Anna was lured into the home of one of her neighbors, 35-year-old Klaus Grabowski. Grabowski had gotten Anna to agree to come inside his apartment by telling her he had some kittens inside that she could play with. And I know this is like such a cliche and honestly, like, I'm glad that, you know, my parents had that like stranger danger talk with me um, when I was young. But, you know, I honestly don't know how effective that would have been because, you know, this was one of Anna's neighbors. And like, to be quite honest, I, you guys know, I'm a cat person. I love cats. I have three of them. This is a well-known fact. Um, You guys have heard them on this podcast before. 
So, you know, honestly, if I was, if I was Anna, if I was a young child and my neighbor was like, Hey, I have a box of kittens, like come into my house and, you know, you can play with the kittens or you can help me, you know, do whatever with them. Honestly, I've probably been like, hell yeah, I love kittens. And you know, this person, and that's, you know, it's so sad to think that most of the time when, you know, terrible things happen to children, it's done by somebody they know and somebody they feel like they can trust. And it's like that stranger danger, while it's all well and good to have those conversations with your children, at the end of the day, you know, the call is coming from inside the house sometimes, or it's coming from the neighbor's house or a family friend's house. And, you know, I can't, you know, not that I would ever put any blame on Anna because this was her neighbor, but, you know, there, it's always, people always ask the question, well, you know, why did she go into your house? And she was a child. She was, I think at this point, maybe eight years old, nine years old. So, so young. And when you're that young, you're not thinking that you're going to go into the house of a neighbor and something terrible is going to happen to you. She was probably psyched to just play with some kittens. And unfortunately, her neighbor turned out to be a sick fuck. Because Grabowski kept Anna inside his home for several hours, during which he raped her repeatedly before eventually strangling her to death with a pair of his fiancé's tights. Yeah, this sick fuck had a fiancé. Grabowski then tied up Anna's body and placed it into a box, that of which he buried in a shallow grave on the bank of the local canal. When Grabowski's fiance returned home that same day, she discovered what Grabowski had done and immediately went to the police. So I just want to give some props to this fiance for a moment because we have heard so many times before in cases that we've covered in the past where these like women or the partners stick by their husbands, their boyfriends, whoever it might be, while they're doing the most disgusting, horrific things. Like, you know, we make a joke about it, but like Cindy Hendy, the way that she stuck by David Parker Ray when he was literally raping and torturing women in his fucking toy box that he had in in the back of his house. And, you know, she was fucking just hanging out, living life, doing the same things that David Parker Ray was doing and letting him get away with it and not saying anything. And I just, I cannot comprehend. Like, I don't give a fuck about how much you love somebody. If the absolute, like, love of my life, if Lucas were to come to me one day and say, I just murdered someone, I would be like, bro, what the fuck? And call the police. Like, I don't care. I'm not writing for you if you murdered someone, especially a child. So props to this fiance. I wish I could have found her name, but I was not able to find her name in any of the sources I look at. But I just want to give this woman like, that's such a low fucking bar, isn't it? You're like, oh, I'm going to give her props for actually calling the, the police when her fiance told her that he murdered a child. But the bar is that fucking low because there's so many instances that I can, I can think of and I can recall that it wasn't the case. So hate that I have to give props for this to this fiance for you know being a basic human being and and telling the police when her fiance admitted to murdering a child but you know it is what it is I'm giving props to her because too many times in too many other cases that hasn't been the case so uh, 
fiance goes to the police and the police immediately come and arrest Klaus Grabowski. Once he was arrested, um, Grabowski started to spin his fucking story trying to explain why he had murdered Anna. He said that Anna stated that she was going to tell her mother that he raped her for the purposes of extorting money from him. For the purposes of extorting money from him. Keep in mind that Anna is like eight years old at this point. And he's saying, again, I'll say it again. His story is that he had to kill her because she threatened to tell her mother that he raped her so she could extort money from him. An eight-year-old girl. Like... I wish you guys could see my face right now because I'm just fucking gobsmacked. This man, like, I, I don't want to even call him a man. This fucking freakazoid of a human being had the fucking audacity to try and spin what he did to make it the fault of the little girl that he murdered. He's fucking sick. Um, so after he spun this story, Grabowski said that it was his fear of going back to prison that prompted him to kill her. So Klaus Grabowski was actually a known child predator, which, you know, that right there just gives zero, like not that in any way, shape or form, do I think a shred of his story was true, but looking at his past, you know, he was fucking lying. He had actually been on probation for sexually assaulting and attempting to strangle a six-year-old girl in 1973. A second attack just a couple of years later, or sorry, in a second attack just a couple of years later, he sexually molested two nine-year-old children. So I just want you to pay attention to those ages too. We've got six and nine. So clearly Anna fell right smack in his preferred age range. So instead of going to prison for the attack on the two nine-year-olds, Grabowski opted to undergo chemical castration in 1976. So for those who may be unfamiliar, chemical castration is castration via anaphro... Oh my gosh, anaphrodisiac drugs. I should have like prepped myself for that word before I went into this part of my notes, but I think I got it. Chemical castration is castration via anaphro... Oh my God, I just fucked it up again. Anaphrodisiac drugs, whether to reduce libido and sexual activity to treat cancer or otherwise. Um, chemical castration is generally reversible when treatment is discontinued, although permanent effects in body chemistry can sometimes be seen. Chemical castration was first used as a treatment for sex offenders in 1944, and numerous countries still use it on convicted sex offenders, often in return, or, oh my god, often in return for reduced prison sentences. Okay, I did say that right the first time. I don't know why I'm giving myself shit for not saying things right so bad. I'm traumatized by being able to not, or not being able to pronounce anaphrodisiac three different times. I'm, I'm kind of torn on this, the fact that you know, actually, I'm not torn on this. I take that back. I don't think Grabowski should have ever been given the fucking option to undergo this chemical castration. You know, in my personal opinion, if somebody is a sexual predator, whether it be against children, be against, you know, men, women, whoever, if you are a rapist, if you are a pedophile, if you are a sex offender, you know, I think that we should just, you know, screw chemical castration. Let's just like castrate these people for real. Let's just, just chop it off. If it's not there, they can't hurt anybody anymore. So, you know, why don't we float that idea? I think, you know, 
that right there would be a pretty heavy deterrent of, you know, sexual violence. Hey, you do this, we're going to chop your balls off. So, I don't know. Just a thought. Just a thought. So, Grabowski maintained his chemical castration for two years, but secretly began undergoing hormone therapy in 1978 to reverse the effects that the castration had on him. So, Grabowski's trial for Anna's murder begins on March 3rd, 1981. His defense attorneys claimed he had acted out of a hormonal imbalance that was caused by hormone therapy he received after being voluntarily castrated years earlier. Grabowski had testified that seven-year-old Anna had attempted to seduce him and that he had killed her because she had threatened again to tell her mother of the attack unless he gave her money. So now the story is changing a little bit. So he's admitting, you know, or sorry, he's, his story's really not changing at this point, but this is when he is saying now, instead of she just threatened to say that he molested her into actually saying he seduced or she seduced him. So... When Just when we think his blame on Anna can't get any worse, it does. But frankly, I'm not really that surprised because this man is a sick motherfucker and would do anything he possibly could to save his own skin, even blaming the child he murdered for her own murder. These allegations made Anna's mother, Marianne, absolutely furious. And rightfully so. Not only did this disgusting predator of a man rape and murder her seven-year-old daughter, but now he was trying to claim that Anna was responsible for her own death. And Marianne, mm -mm, she was not going to let that fly. On the third day of the trial, March 6, 1981, Marianne Bachmeyer once again sat down in an absolutely packed courtroom to watch the trial proceedings that day. The only difference this time was that Marianne had a 22 caliber Beretta 70 pistol hidden in her purse. As Grabowski entered the courtroom, Marianne rose from her seat and pulled the gun from her purse. She aimed the gun at Grabowski's back and fired seven times, completely emptying the gun's magazine. Six of the seven shots struck Grabowski. Some accounts allege that Grabowski died where he lay on the courtroom floor, while others state that Grabowski died on the way to the hospital. But either way, he got got. That motherfucker got got. And when I first when I first came across this case, what really interested, I guess I don't know, interested me or drew me to it was, you know, I I can't even count how many times Autumn and I have said that, you know, when we're going over cases in which, you know, the the main subject, I suppose, of the case, you know, is like a rapist or a pedophile. And all the time we talk about like prison justice, like, oh, can't wait. Like they should put him in gen pop, let that motherfucker get got like, you know, let them give them what they deserve. Can't wait to see it. Hope they get fucked up in prison. But like, it's something we joke about, but like, not really joking. Genuinely, I do think like, sexual predators are the fucking scum of the earth, in my opinion, like lower than anything else. If you are a rapist, if you are a pedophile, if you commit any sort of sexual offenses against anyone else, 
you know, regardless of age, gender, whatever it might be, if you are a sexual predator, I think you deserve to just have your shit absolutely fucked up. I, I hate me all you want for saying it. You know, maybe it's not the most PC thing in the world to say, but I think sexual predators, I think rapists, pedophiles, y'all deserve to get fucked up. And that's, that's my take on it. So, you know, I stand with Marianne Bachmeier. I think, you know, she, I, I understand Marianne Bachmeier, I guess is what I'm trying to say. You know, she had to sit there. This was only day three of the trial, but it was three days worth of having to sit there and listen to the man who brutally raped and murdered her seven-year-old daughter, sit there and have his defense try to pin Anna's murder on Anna. So like, I don't blame Marianne at all. Frankly, like if it was me, if I was in her shoes, I can't say I wouldn't have done the same thing. Um, after Marianne shot Grabowski, the courtroom erupted into absolute chaos. Marianne, however, remained cool, calm, and collected. She just lowered her gun. She made no attempt to flee and allowed herself to be arrested. Bad bitch moves, honestly. Marianne even said to the courtroom judge who was present, quote, I wanted to kill him. I wanted to shoot him in the face, but I shot him in the back. I hope he's dead. Two policemen also claimed to have heard Bachmeier call Grabowski a pig after she shot him, which also accurate. The German public had a visceral reaction to Marianne's shooting of Klaus Grabowski. Marianne became an almost, an almost instant celebrity overnight. Her subsequent trial, which was followed closely by the German public, begged the question, was her effort to avenge her slain child justified? It sparked extensive media coverage, and television crews worldwide traveled to Lübeck to report on this case. Bachmeier actually sold her life story for what would have been roughly 158,000 American dollars to the news magazine Stern, and she used this money actually to cover her legal costs. While she was in custody, Marianne received a flood of gifts, flowers, and messages of support. Though there was sympathy for Marianne as a grieving mother whose child had been brutally murdered by a convicted sex offender, many in the German public still believed that Marianne had to be punished as to reiterate that the country could not tolerate vigilantism. After Stern published her life story and details about her first two children and her father's connection to the Waffen-SS came to light, um, for those of you who may not be immediately familiar, the Waffen-SS were the... Um, Nazi police during the Holocaust. Um, after this came to light, public opinion shifted as she no longer appeared to fit the image of a quote-unquote innocent mother. Many also blamed the judiciary for allowing a convicted sex offender to use hormones to restore his sex drive, and others accused Marianne of having neglected Anna and doubted the authenticity of her grief. Even with this, however, there was still a huge outpouring of support and sympathy for Marianne and understanding for what she had done. Marianne's case also raised the question of whether her shooting of Grabowski could be considered murder or manslaughter. Was it premeditated or did Marianne shoot her daughter's murderer in an uncontrollable fit of rage and grief? This distinction would have vastly different outcomes. 
if Marianne was found guilty of premeditated murder, she could spend the rest of her life in prison. If she was convicted of manslaughter, she could be freed from prison after serving only a few years. On November 2nd, 1982, Marianne was initially charged in court on account of murder. During her trial, Bachmeyer testified that she shot Grabowski in a dream and saw visions of her daughter in the courtroom. Marianne was also asked to provide a handwriting sample, and in response, Marianne wrote, quote, I did it for you, Anna, followed by seven hearts, each for one year of Anna's life. The prosecution later dropped the murder charge against Marianne, instead seeking to convict her of manslaughter, which, good move. We appreciate that. The prosecution, oh, that was what I already said, backing it up. (laughs) Um, Four months after the opening proceed, oh my gosh, words again. So sorry, guys. It's been a while since I've just had to sit here and, and read this off, you know, solo. But let's try that again. Four months after the opening of proceedings, she was convicted on March 2nd, 1983 by the Circuit Court Chamber of the District Court of Lubeck for manslaughter and unlawful possession of a firearm. The court largely followed the defense's argument that the act was unplanned, and Marianne was sentenced to six years in prison, but was released after serving three years. After being released in 1985, Marianne soon married a teacher, and together they moved to Africa. So in sources, I saw some said they moved to Nigeria, some said they moved to Ghana, but so I don't know for sure where exactly they moved, but I know for sure that it was somewhere in Africa. They lived in a German camp where her husband taught at a German school. Marianne and her husband eventually divorced in 1990, after which Marianne moved to Sicily. While living in Sicily, Marianne was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, after which she decided to return to Germany. Marianne also made multiple TV appearances in which she discussed her killing of Klaus Grabowski. In 1994, she gave an interview to the Deutschland Funk 7 radio. She also published an autobiography that same year. On September 21st, 1995, she appeared on the talk show Fliege. I think it's pronounced that way. It's F-L-I-E-G-E. I'm going with Fliege. Um, on the Das Erste TV channel, where she admitted to shooting her daughter's killer after careful consideration to enforce the law on him and to prevent him from further spreading lies about her daughter, Anna. So, you know, she... She kind of admits it there. You know, she had served her time. She had been convicted of the crime. So, you know, she's not going to be able to to be convicted or serve prison time for it again. But, you know, in this um, interview in 1995, she does say, you know, I I killed him after I carefully considered it. And the reason being so, you know, he could no longer sit there and tell lies about Anna, which honestly... Whether it was premeditated, whether it was not premeditated, I'm still on Marianne's side. I know people really have split opinions about like vigilante justice and what should be allowed and what shouldn't be allowed. And, you know, she served her prison time for it is all I'm going to say. You know, we've we've definitely talked about, you know, prison sentences that like actual disgusting terrible murderers serial killers and rapists have gotten that are just like a fucking joke and the fact that they get out after you know serving only like two years of an eight-year sentence like five years like a 15-year sentence and then they go off and they you know murder and rape more people but like 
I don't feel that way about Marianne. She's, she served her three years. And when she got out, she only went and did good things for the world. So in this case, I'm glad that Marianne only had to serve three years of that six-year sentence. She did her time. And whether she killed Klaus Grabowski after careful planning or whether it was in a fit of rage, it really doesn't change my opinion on it, honestly. You know? That's all I'm going to say. Doesn't change my opinion. Team Marianne. Um, in a documentary from 2006, a former friend also said that Marianne practiced shooting in the basement under her pub before... And a, oh, oh my God! Wow, Jesus! I just messed it up. We're gonna we're gonna go back. We're gonna try that again. In a documentary from 2006, a former friend also said that Marianne practiced shooting in the basement under her pub after Anna's murder. Marianne never publicly expressed any regret for killing Klaus Grabowski. Which, like, honestly, why would she? <laughs> why would she express any regret? You know, again, he murdered her daughter brutally murdered her daughter like if it was me i probably wouldn't regret it either anyways marianne never had any other children after anna either and on september 17th 1996 marianne bachmeyer passed away as a result of her pancreatic cancer she was 46 years old marianne was buried next to anna in Bergtor cemetery in lubeck their shared headstone bears their name and a photo of them together and yeah, that is the the uh, story of Germany's revenge mother, Marianne Bachmeier. Um, hope you guys enjoyed this. Like I said, this is just going to be a little mini episode. I was trying to think of like a fun, like kitschy name for like mini episodes, or I don't know. I don't know if there'll be multiple mini episodes. Maybe who knows? Um, but I couldn't think of anything. I wanted to go with like alliteration, so I was trying to think of like an like a t-word because t-s-r-h but like i couldn't think of anything so if you guys have any ideas for like what i could call these mini episodes if there is more in the future like let me know i'm interested in knowing and the way you can let me know is by talking on talking to us on instagram at t-s-r-h podcast if you enjoyed this episode if you enjoyed the podcast we'd really appreciate if you could go ahead and give us a follow if instagram is not your thing we do have a facebook page as well uh, that is also t-s-r-h podcast you can also email us t-s-r-h podcast at gmail.com um, again, we'll take case recommendations through email. If you've got cases you want us to cover, we'll also take case recommendations through the Instagram. And if you enjoyed this episode, if you enjoy this podcast in general, please rate us five stars on whatever platform it is you're listening to this on. We really appreciate it. and It really helps us out. Um, but either way, thank you so much for listening and we'll catch you on the next one. Bye.